0: My friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's gonna be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, Enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. We're continuing in our Good Life series, and uh, as we continue this week, I was thinking this week about uh, net. Have any of you heard the the term network decay? So it has to do with TV channels, network decay. Anybody? How it origin? These channels that originally started as one thing. And then over time, they changed their original programming to either reach a, a new set of people or a broader audience, all of it driven by, of course, money. That's right. It's like there's somehow there's more money out there, so we're going to become something different so that we can grab more for ourselves. So for a few examples of this, how many of you remember MTV? When was the last time you saw a music video on MTV? For lots of you guys, millennials and Gen Z, you're like, they show music videos? What is a music video? I've never seen one. I know. That's what they started showing. Uh, What about this one? TLC. Does anybody know what that even stands for? The Learning Channel. That's right. What do we learn from the Learning Channel these days? It is like the home, the hub of reality TV. Like, it is not like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and all kinds of wonderful things for your life. It's gonna erode your brain, people. What's this one? Bravo, does anybody know why Bravo originally started? It originally began with live, like they would record Broadway shows, theater productions, and put them out through this channel. I mean, think Hamilton a couple years ago on Netflix. That was the original intent of Bravo. Now, of course, it's the home of like 86 versions of Housewives in big cities all around the country and the drama that they create. So there's this network decay that exists. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking it's not too far off From what we experience in our life, there's kind of a life decay that starts to take place in our journeys. There's this gradual shift and erosion from who we were originally designed and created to be. The kind of life we were created for, the kind of life we long for, the kind of life that God even wants for us, there's this gradual decay that drifts away from that. And so as we continue today in the good life, one of the things we're going to talk about, right, we know that the good life, we remember last week, the good life, of course, is life with God. You cannot have a good life apart from a life with God. We learned last week that a life with God, the good life, of course, gives us a hopeful life. This week, we're going to see that the good life is a holy life. The good life is a holy life. We're going to learn what that looks like and how holiness is what keeps our lives from decaying and eroding the holy life is what gives us everything we were created and designed for, the freedom and the joy and the love and the hope. The good life is a holy life. So we're gonna see that from Peter. Grab your Bibles. If you brought your Bibles with you, turn to the back, of course, back to First Peter. If you need a Bible, always Bibles available for you back there in the Next Steps corner. We remember, of course, that Peter wrote this letter, right? And we know that Peter, uniquely, one of the beautiful things is he was a disciple of God. He was an eyewitness. So it's not even like another account. It'd be like you writing a story about the person next to you. Like, I was there. I know this person. I can tell you all about him. And he's writing to the church to people that, that are followers of Jesus that believe in who he is. And they're scattered all around the country now. They're scattered all around the world because they're oppressed. They're confused by what's happening in the world. They're discouraged because there has been this life decay that's taken place in their lives, people just like us. And so we're going to read this out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. First word, right, in this translation, the New Living, is the word so. Lots of your Bibles, probably the NIVs and others, have the word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it? Therefore. Therefore. That's right. That means you got to look back at what he's saying, in light of everything I just wrote. So, right, go back. If you weren't here last week, listen to the message, but I'll recap it for you. In light of the fact that you were chosen in light of the fact that you have a relationship with God through Jesus, in light of the fact that you now have this living hope which gives you an eternity with God forever, but it also empowers you to live this incredible life on earth, in light of all those things, in light of that your life is being refined and you can reflect the very presence of Jesus and his life is reflected in you, in light of the fact that you have this hope, that you have this joy, that you have this love, that you have this great, in light of all of this, he's saying... You should live differently. And because of all of this, you should live a different kind of life. And there's a word that he uses to describe this life. It's used all throughout the Bible to describe it. And that word is holy. That's right. In light of all of that, you should live a holy life. A life. What does holy mean? Essentially, it just means other. It means different. Separate from You should look different. It's it's got its roots, of course, identified as being with or for God. And it's got the roots that are found in the Old Testament. So, for example, lots of you guys know this. The Sabbath day was a day that was set aside to be holy. That's right, a whole day where you just do it differently than all of your other days. Priests were seen as holy. They lived differently. They did different work that was what it was. Lots of other things in the Old Testament identified as holy, set apart uniquely for God. And so what Peter is saying here is the good life is a holy life. The good life, life with God is a holy life. That's everything he's telling us. And we see it he makes it he just spells it out really clearly. You must live as God's obedient children. You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. He's quoting there from Leviticus, the Old Testament, right? Where God was calling his people to relationship with him. He said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to bless the whole world through you my holiness imparted to and through you, set aside uniquely to bring beauty into the world. Because God is holy. God uniquely is holy. He's separate, he's other, he is different from anyone or anything. God can't even come close to evil or impurity. There was always distance, that's why they had all those rules about keeping space and distance from anything unclean or that would defile It's like you're holy. God can't even be near that. It's a fundamental reality of life, that God is in a class by himself. Nothing compares to God. There is no other God. There is no other human. There's no other creator or sustainer of life other than God. He's the final measure. He's unequaled. He's unrivaled in his power and in his wisdom and in his grace and in his love and in his holiness. It's what sets him apart. He's without beginning or end. And so basically what Peter's saying is the good life is a holy life. And then he just says, look, you're God's children. And so God's people should look like God. You should look like God. That's all he said. If God is holy, you should be holy. It makes sense, right? We understand this concept all through God's word. Again, we see him. He's being portrayed as a loving father. And even in this passage, he's like, ah, you're like his kids, as children and what do we know about kids they tend to look like their parents and not only that they tend to have some of the same qualities and characteristics as their parents more and more as you get older you start to become it seems like more and more like your parents whether you like it or And that's all Peter's reflecting here, is who you are, your very nature, your very being. And it's not just that, the things that you do, what you do, it should be like God. God's people should look like God who is holy. Make sense? And so you might wanna know, well, <clears throat> so if we wanted to be holy, what would that look like? If we were going to see an example of holiness lived out in this world. I mean, what would the father look like? And the obvious answer is Jesus. That's right, you're in church and the right answer is always Jesus. Jesus. That's right, we just look at Jesus. And here's the thing, Jesus is having literally this very conversation with his disciples, which would have included Peter in a room before he leaves. And they're saying, he goes, he's like, you got to, guys, you're going to be my hands and feet now. you got to love the world the way I've loved. you got to be the, I've set the example. you got to go live this out. You need to look like the father. And they're going, but we've never seen the father. We don't even know what God looks like. How would we know Jesus what that looks like? And he looks at him and he's like, guys, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what holiness looks like, just look at me. You've been walking with me for three years. This is what holiness looks like. And we understand that. For extra credit, go read the Gospels. Just pick one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, whatever you want. Go read one. And just keep asking the question, okay, if this is what God looks like, what does Jesus do? What's his nature? What's his character? What kind of conversations does he have? What kind of people does he talk to? What kind of questions does he ask? Who are the people he hangs around with? You see, and we start to learn so much about what holiness looks like by looking at the life of Jesus. We see that there was this compassion and this kindness. We see that he was constantly moving towards people, especially people that were very unlike him. We see care and compassion. And we see that it wasn't just nice words, right? He gave amazing messages like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, extra credit, read that before the Super Bowl. Right, he teaches you all kinds of things practically about life, about how to live, about what to do, but he's also constantly, there's there's love and forgiveness and grace. He's putting these great concepts into action in his life. And we get to see what holiness looks like. We get to see the good life. A life with God is a holy life. And then Peter continues, right? He tells us how this holiness gets worked out in our lives, right? Because even if that was the goal and that's what we wanted and we see it and we believe it, it's like, how does that work? How could we be like that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. And Peter knew it was coming. It's the very first sentence in verse 13. He says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self control. There's how you move towards holiness. Prepare your minds for action. And exercise self control. You see, one of the things we see is that a holy life begins in your mind. A holy life begins in your mind. And it shouldn't be too surprising us because when you start looking for it in God's Word, you'll see it everywhere. That this life decay, this erosion that starts to uh, uh, just invade our lives, the gravity where we drift away from who we were created to be and who God wants us to be and who we want to be in life, it really begins in our minds. The gravity of the world is constantly pulling us. And so the way to combat that, you would think it's what we do. But here what he says is, no, it starts with your minds. you got to prepare your minds, And we see this all through God's word. Just one example is Paul when he's writing to the church in Romans chapter 12. He says this, don't conform to the patterns in this world. Don't let the life decay and the gravity pull you away from a holy life, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Other places, Paul writes all the time about the renewing of your mind. One of the most famous in Philippians, you got to fix your thoughts on what's good and what's right and what's true and what's holy and what's pure. He's like, this is the way you become. This is the life, the good life you want. It starts with your mind. The holy life begins in your mind. But here's what's interesting. It doesn't stay there. It's not just an intellectual internal pursuit. That's why Peter writes, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. There's an external component to this. You see, holiness, the holy life begins in your mind, but it doesn't stay there. Holy holy life begins in your mind, but it's expressed through your actions. It begins in your mind, but it's expressed through your life. Again, the model of Jesus. What we see, right? The way he thought, his nature, his character, his questions, all of those things. But then what? Expressed. He would talk about all these concepts, and then he'd live them out, In front of us. And again, we see this all through God's word. Just one example in James chapter two, verse 17. It says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and it's useless. There should be an outward action and expression of your faith of your good life, the life with God, the holy life that he's called you and created you for, there should, be, it, it, there should be an expression of that. But where does it begin? It begins in your mind. And here's one of the things. I love when the world proves the Bible to be true. I think it's one of the best things on the planet. And half the time it doesn't even know it's doing it. But if you go see any good therapist or psychologist or anybody, you know what they're gonna start teaching you? This principle. That your thoughts create feelings, and those feelings are what you act out of. This is it. Like, they're going to teach you this in some way. They're going to say, listen, here's the deal. Whatever you think, that's going to stir emotion in you. And that emotion is what's going to drive your actions and responses. And that's essentially what he's saying here, isn't it? It starts in your mind, and it comes out through who you are. It's all through the Bible. It's brilliant. But here's what's dangerous about this, the space that's between and in front of those words. Because, you see, if you have good thoughts, as Paul would invite you to have, if you have right thoughts, if you have pure thoughts, if you have truthful thoughts, if you have honest thoughts, that creates good feelings. Pure feelings, honest feelings, truthful feelings, which then in turn generates good actions, pure actions, truthful actions, right? Do you see how this works? So the best thoughts, the right thoughts, the good thoughts produced the best feelings and the best emotions, which create the best actions, which is fantastic, right? Until you flip it upside down. Because if you have evil thoughts, if you have impure thoughts, if you have lustful thoughts, if you have deceitful thoughts, if you have manipulative thoughts, that's going to create evil feelings and deceitful feelings and untrue feelings, which is going to give you evil actions and impure actions and deceitful actions in your life which is why it's so critical that holiness begins in your mind. That's the invitation that Peter's reminding us and giving us here. The good life, the best life, a life with God is a holy life, and it begins with good thoughts, with right thoughts, with pure thoughts, with the best thoughts. And we understand this, because this might be news to some of you today. Not every thought you have is a good one. (laughs) That might be news to some of you. You may think every thought you have is, is a good one. That's my thought, it's a good thought. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And here's the thing, this is a constant battle that we all have to face. We gotta pay attention to this. So this week, this is everything I'm studying and praying about, thinking about this week. So I had a chance to live this out this week. Not very well, but I lived it out. So when I go home, I take the 55 freeway, take the 22, take the 55 south right here, right? And like right away, the the 17th street is merging in And like 4th Street's merging out. And then I got to take the five. So you got all these people coming in the freeway. And you got all these people trying to get over to get off. It's a mess. Like it's like NASCAR for like a quarter mile. It's crazy. And it's awesome. So anyway, I love it. So I'm in my truck and I'm cruising along, getting ready just on the five. And I've got a guy who's behind me. I kind of know who's there. And I got some people coming in. So I slow down and let him over and everything. And this guy jumps in. And he starts to speed up. And I start thinking... What does he think he's doing? And sure enough, he puts his turn signal on, starts to think he's gonna ease back over in front of me. And I think, no, you're not. So I speed up a little bit too, because I'm like, you selfish, arrogant, speedy driver. You need to be patient. I'm gonna help you learn a lesson today. And so you can see how instantly I assume what he's doing. And I start to, my blood pressure goes up, and I'm like, you're not going to do that, which leads to maybe a little heavier on the accelerator. Now, I could have, when he pulled out and started to pull back in, I could have thought, ah, I bet he's never traveled this road before. I bet he didn't know that he needed to get back over. Maybe he was in a hurry. Maybe he was trying to make an appointment. Maybe he was trying to get to his kid's game. Maybe he just simply made a mistake. Or maybe it was intentional. Either way, I could have thought, no problem. I don't know why. Come on over. My blood pressure stays down. I get to back up, let him come in. But you see, in everything we do, this drives us. And I can tell by your laughter and smiles, it drives you too. <laughs> and that's just kind of an easy example, right? And the question would be then, well, okay, how in the world then do we fix our thoughts? I love that the Bible doesn't leave us alone in that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says this we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to christ we take captive every thought we have and i know what you think you're thinking every thought yep that's what it says so i would assume that and here's the thing when you first start this journey it's exhausting when you realize how many thoughts you have. But what he's referring to is every thought you have, you can't assume it's a good thought. You can't assume it's a right thought. You can't assume it's a holy thought. You can't assume it's gonna aim you with the good life and everything you want. So you gotta stop it. You gotta stop every thought. You gotta stop it. And you gotta grab it. And you gotta look at it. And it's pretty easy to do. was this a good thought? Is this the best thought? Is this the most generous thought? Is this a forgiving thought? Is this a kind thought? Just run it through a filter. Even if you don't know Jesus, have never been in a church today, my bet is you can do this. You can just run it through the grid of is this selfish or, or is this generous? Is this kind and compassionate and caring or is it arrogant and entitled? And what, I mean, you, you can run it through. And that's the starting point. You take it captive and you look at it and you go, is this gonna lead me to the good life? Is this the life of holiness reflecting my relationship with God? Is this going to move me towards becoming, or is this life decay, where I'm slowly just slipping away from who I want to be, from who I was created to be? you got to grab it. you got to stop it. And here's the thing. We talk about freeways. you got to do this with your relationships. you got to do this in your workplace. And you've got to do this with yourself. Some of the worst thoughts you'll have are about you, not about someone else. Some of the most untrue, unkind, hateful things that you think will be about yourself, not about someone else. And you've got to stop those. And you've got to look and you go, is this what a loving, kind, gracious father would say about a kid? Is this good? Is this right? Is it pure? Is it holy? Is it loving? And it's going to aim everything for you after that. Your life will start to become different because you've taken every thought captive. You see, Peter's just saying that the good life, it's a holy life. Because what happens when we don't manage our thoughts? We all know. But thankfully, Peter even tells us In this verse, verses 14 and 18. He just says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. And then in 18, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. He's saying there's a gravity of this world. You will slip back into something if you're not pursuing holiness through right thinking and right feeling and right acting. You just, you will, that's where you're going to slip. Don't do that. Don't start with your feelings. Don't start with your desires. Don't start there. Don't give yourself over to those things, the quick hits, the emotional pleasure, the numbing of whatever pain. Don't do that. That's starting in the middle of the process. Start with your thinking. Grab those thoughts and say, is this true? Is this good? Is this right? Is this holy? Is this moving me towards who I was created to be, the good life that I long for? Because what Peter's saying is you're either going to live a holy life or you're going to live an empty life. There's nothing in between. And he says, we've seen this. Your ancestors, this is all, you've seen it. Whether it's in your family or your parents or your friends or maybe even your own life, you know that those choices are going to lead you to an empty life. They will lead you to a life of emptiness, of shame and of guilt and of fear and anxiety. They will not lead you to the life you were designed to be. And here's the thing, I always, thought, I grew up in the church. I always thought holiness was a drag, to be honest with you. I always thought holiness was kind of a bummer. It felt burdensome, felt restrictive, felt punitive. It felt like, oh, impossible, to be honest with you. Like, really? Like this is, like holiness, felt, you know, the whole goal was denial, like just self-denial, and just live in this place where you're gonna explode. You know, the only way I thought it was possible is like to get away from everybody. You know, be a priest or a monk or just leave me alone. And if I live alone, then maybe I'll have a shot at holiness. And one of the things I've realized is holiness is not a state of denial. Holiness is not punitive. It's not burdensome. Holiness actually is a gift. Holiness is an expression of love. Holiness is predominantly affection. And here's why. When Jesus, when they asked Jesus to sum up all of the law and all of the prophets and everything even that we just read out of Leviticus, they're saying, sum it all up, Jesus. Give it to us. He has a chance to reinforce feelings and behaviors and said, do this right and whatever. And what does he say? Here's it. You want a life of holiness? I'll give it to you. Love God. Love him with all your heart. Get to know him. Love him with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's holiness. Holiness is love. Holiness is loving. Holiness is joy, holiness is happiness, holiness is freedom, holiness is the good life. That's the lie that we've fought for so long that I did. That's the invitation. Holiness is an affection issue, not a behavior issue. That's what he invites us into. This past week, um, I'm doing Alpha with our church and a group here. And I saw a story in Alpha that I'm like, that's one of the most startling pictures of holiness that I've ever seen. I want you guys to just watch Shane's story and let God speak to you about holiness.
1: I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burglar uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high-profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I uh, ended up stabbing someone in the head. I uh, he ended up um, st- stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder way. He dropped to the floor and. So I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system. And I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC, to where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have ride shields and riot gear on. Um, And that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an Alpha course. Never heard of an Alpha course. Didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in, because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair. And I thought, oh, no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week, and I would argue. And the pastor... um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying. And I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, Come into my life because I hate who I am and nothing happened but then as I was talking to the pastor I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach and it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up and I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears and I just sobbed <clears throat> and I just because that was a change of my whole life. I knew God was real. um, And no one will change that now. And then I remember (laughs) running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I I got released. I've been in a prison where I, because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first That's how God works the best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about god i've got five kids and they're my life um and what upsets me is because now i know um that back then if i had the kids uh they wouldn't have had a good upbringing and now they sit on the night and have bible studies with their dad um <laughs> A Bible study with a dad, have a life, The beautiful, um, and my life. And is probably, my wife and my kids are the best gift. That, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever given me. Um, Didn't expect to cry like that. We covered now. <laughs>
0: The good life, it's a holy life, it's not punitive, it's not small, it's not restrictive, it's the most loving, most gracious, most freeing, most joyful, and hope-filled life you can imagine. Life of holiness. If you would just close your eyes, bow your heads, let's pray. God, continue to speak to every single one of us as your kids this morning. Maybe some of us have gotten caught in just the gravity and the decay of this world, our life, just becoming something we never imagined, never intended. God, today we acknowledge and know that through your power, through your grace, through your strength, through your love, that we can pursue a holy life. Pray that you would filter out just the the bad thinking, the lies, the thoughts, the fear. that maybe has embedded itself in us and that you would replace that with what's good and what's right and what's true, what's pure and what's lovely and what's holy. Just continue to speak to us and give us the humility and courage to respond.